Hello and welcome to a very special episode of Our Generation On Air. My name is Alex Pullimore and I'm joined by the duo of Dan Lambert and Micah Chudley. Guys, welcome out. Good evening. Hey How are we doing? All good, yes. Yeah. So, as I said, this is a very special episode for us as it features, um, for our little podcast at least, our very first interview. Uh, so on Monday, we sat down over Zoom with fellow QPR fan, current QPR player and all-round legend, Albert Adoma, to talk all things QPR. That interview is coming up later in the podcast, so please stick around to hear that. But beforehand, uh, you will have to put up with us talking some, I wouldn't say rubbish, but we're talking quite in-depth, I guess, about uh, Luton, Huddersfield, and then previewing our upcoming match against Derby. So... Guys, let's start with Luton. What was your sort of general thoughts on how we played and how the game went? Um, I don't know. Luton was a weird one, I thought. Um, I thought it was a decent performance. Um, I thought both, I thought it was a good game from both both sides, to be honest. Um, I don't know. It just felt that we... I don't think we created too many chances during the game, or at least we the two on target we had, I think... Um, we took and scored. Uh, it just felt like a like we were more clinical, perhaps with the, the the better quality we probably have on paper than Luton. But um, no, it was it was definitely a decent performance. Yeah, um, <clears throat> similar to Dan, I, I felt as though it was quite an even game. I think Luton are a good side. Um, obviously, their position in the table shows that, and obviously, uh, Nathan James has been doing quite a good job at Luton. Um, <clears throat> But yeah, it just felt as though quality kind of uh, quality kind of told in the end, which is which is a refreshing position to be in because over the years, I feel as though we have lost, especially under Warburton, we have lost a lot of even games because we just haven't had that quality. But obviously, yesterday, uh, yesterday, Friday night, uh, Chair Willock, Austin, that kind of that kind of just that cut above what Luton had is kind of what carried us through. I felt like. Yeah, it was kind of like a, it wasn't our best performance, but you know, like we, we kept on going and, you know, it's really satisfying in the end to get a result like that. And we'll look back in it later on in the season and think 2-0, God, that was that was easy, whatever. Like it looks, the result perhaps is, isn't is telling for, you know, not dominance, but Luton had plenty of chances. They had 16 shots, just four of them went on target. I mean, their shooting was atrocious. Like I, I was absolutely shocked by them. Um, Dan, like you're a Nathan Jones fanboy, what were you thinking of the way that Luton played? Um, I was surprised early on. I, I was surprised when they sat off. Um, I think it was the first 15, uh, 15 20 minutes. They lacked a bit of structure. I thought. I thought we got down the left hand side quite easily with quick combinations between uh, Wallace, Chair, and Willock that we've seen well last year and the start of the season. Um, I thought they did well down our channels. Um, I think they put some balls into Harry Cornick quite a few times. Um, but like you said, they just lacked that um, clinical edge and it was two two errors that kind of cost them the game, really. What did we think of Nathan Jones's comments after the game, which have been lovingly made into a TikTok by the QPR media team? It's kind of upset that a striker has actually scored a couple of goals against him like you know striker scores goals water's wet what exactly 
is the problem. And maybe if he had Charlie Austin, he would have won that game. I mean, I don't really see a problem with their comments. It's, I, I see it as more of a sarcastic joke. I mean, the fact that our fan base have got rattled by Nathan Jones on the last two occasions is pretty weird, to be honest. But yeah, that's just that's just my view. I don't really see anything about it. I mean, they let him have a free header, so I can I can see where he's coming from from the resurrection. Obviously, it's not true, but like the fact that he scored two, I think he scored two free headers from the three goals, he, two of the three goals he scored against Luton. Um, so I can see where he's come from from a from his perspective, but it's I just see it as a sarcastic joke to be honest. What was the first thing that he rattled the fans over? Was it last season? Uh, it was the, it was about the the cost of the squad, which wasn't I can't remember the exact quote. Some of it was true, some of it wasn't. I think, but yeah, uh, he yeah. said that Newton couldn't compete with like the money that. Which he's 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 kind of kind of true from a Luton perspective in terms of the budget. They're bottom three in the league. They're overachieving. Um, but yeah, I, I just I wouldn't get involved in the comments. Maybe it's it was like just, a good point, just not in our situation. Yeah, yeah. You know, like we weren't. Yeah. You know, it's nothing to get annoyed about because he's just no, you know, no. he's lost the game. But we're not a side that clearly spend a lot of money. Maybe we spend more than Luton probably, but we still. We're not sort of minted anymore. Um, let's move on to the first goal. And I'm going to let Micah talk us through this because, you know, fair warning, here comes some propaganda. There's a hefty <laughs> amount of chair involvement in this goal. So, you know, usually in these situations, I just sort of mention chair and let Micah run on and on and on. So <laughs> over to you. Um, do you know what? In this situation, um, I'm going to say actually that it is... And I guess it's pretty obvious, but it's 50-50 Chair and Willock on this one, I've got to say. I think, obviously, the pass from Chair is just gorgeous, but, like, obviously, still quite a lot for Chris Willock to do. I believe the uh, the the yard count for the pass is something like 80 yards. So it's an 80-yard pass before, um, before Willock lifted it over the keeper. Very calm finish from Willock. Um, <clears throat> obviously, it's been, it's been doing the rounds, doing the rounds, a bit Willock's performances recently, but what a player. What a player we've got on our hands with Chris Willock. I mean, um, <clears throat> I think a lot of people were looking uh, to Chair to kind of be the quote-unquote Eze replacement. Um, I think Chair's a bit different to Eze. I think Chair, in my opinion, is somebody that looks to probably get on the score sheet a bit more than Eze did. I think Eze was much more of like a natural creator more of a 10 whereas I think chairs more of kind of like a second striker type attacking midfielder thing um whereas I think Willock is much more sort of similar to what Eze gave us more so than what chair does and I think with that it does give it does give the two of them that nice bit of chemistry and that they are always looking for each other. They do know where each other's going to be. They don't tend to get in each other's way or take up the spaces that the other one wants to take. And I think it's just blossoming into one of the best sort of attacking partnerships in the league, to be honest with you. I th- I, I'm confident, honestly, that, you know, whoever plays up front, they're going to get two or three chances to score with those two playing behind him. So, got to give... Much as I love chair and everybody that listens to the pod knows that I love chair, you've got to give your got to take your hat off to Chris Willock. Yeah, I think the goal came precisely at the right time for us because you know, as you said, Luton were playing pretty well. And had it gone on at nil-nil for much longer, I don't know who would have got that first goal. Um, we certainly weren't creating too many chances. Um, Dan, 
from a QPR's perspective, the second goal's a sort of well worked but hard fought. Done winning it at the back post. It's actually a very good header to get it back to Charlie, and he's got a pretty easy finish after that, hasn't he? Yeah, no, I, 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 I on the side of well work. I mean, um, Dazelle, um plays it back to who's he played back to Willock wide off the box, I think. So he he starts the second phase of the set piece off, and then. Charlie Austin's movement to um, in the six-yard box. We know what he's about in the six-yard box. He's one of the best, uh, well, got one of the best movements in terms of strikers in the division when he on his game. Um, and yeah, he scores from a free header, um, from a from a done header. I mean, I think people underestimate well, like the second phases of set pieces mm-hmm. and like short corners. When you're inside a ground, you get um, a lot of fans, you know, groan and moan. When they when teams play it short, but it can just create that that little bit of chaos, particularly when a defensive side is from the set piece phase going into open play, it just creates a bit of uh, movement in the box. Uh, I think it was a good executed uh, goal. Yeah, um, you know the thing that strikes me about this goal is, like you said, Charlie's positioning. And when I've had a bit of a moan about Charlie's performances this season, it's because we know that he's a very good striker. Um, and without wanting to be rude or offensive or anything, but he just needs to play as that sort of poacher striker role, whereas he's been dropping out wide at times, dropping deep, and it's unfortunately for him, he can't keep up with that pace of play and then leaves us with no one in the box because Willock and Chair, even though, you know, like I said, Chair's a second striker, sort of attacking midfielder, but Willock, who's been playing slightly more advanced, I'd say, than Chair in the last couple of games, he's not, I don't think he's got the instincts to be in those striking positions. So when you want someone in the box, you went, where's Charlie? Where's it? Oh, he's, why is he over there? Like, it's because he's been dropping deep. He's done a pass. He's possibly done a good pass. But I don't think with the people that we've got in the midfield, we, he shouldn't really need to do that. And it's just a case of playing to your strengths. And he did that. And when he does do that, you see it against Everton. And you saw it here. He gets in the box. He wins headers. And he scores goals when he's just in the middle there, being a poacher. That's what, you know, that's what I'm, why I'm disappointed in Charlie at times. Because he doesn't play to his strength. And I just don't get it. Um, speaking of another of our, well, I was going to say old age pensioners. That's unfair. Lee Wallace. Really good performance, 90 minutes, up and down the left wing. I mean, that that is really impressive, isn't it? Just coming back from injury. And, you know, we've seen it with McCallum. He struggled coming back from injury. Wallace has been out for a good number of weeks at the wrong end of his career. And he's played 90 minutes twice in one, you know, in one week. That's fantastic. What do we think? Scotland FC. Scotland FC, Alex. Absolutely. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, without Scotland, where would QPR be? Where would we be? Yeah, do you know what? We are very lucky that he's come back when he's come back because it was starting to look very paper thin at that left wing back position. But I just the guy just just does what it says on the tin, gets up and down the wing, puts in a cross, makes a tackle. I mean, what more can you ask for? Do you say 34? He is 34. I, I don't know. Maybe I didn't actually say his age, but it sounds about right. He's 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 mid thirties. Like yeah. he shouldn't be, he shouldn't still be this good at his age. That's that's the that's the point. That's the main bullet point. Just excellent. 
Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. That's all I can say. Great performance. Um, so I think we, we're all on the same page that this was a, a good performance, but was there anything from the game that actually maybe frustrated you a little bit? And this goes to either of you. I don't, I don't think so per se. I mean, I think Adoma struggled to get in the game, but I don't think that's his fault. I think um, by Jones playing on your Dimna as a left wing back, I think I thought he pinned Adoma deep quite well. And I mean, as as he touched on the interview, I don't think he was. Um, he said that he had to do more defending than than attacking in that game. But um, no, I don't think there was anything to necessarily be worried about in that game. I thought. I thought we managed that with their press quite well, uh, especially when they got more aggressive in the second half. I suppose we were a bit under the cosh late on in the game when they had a few chances, but obviously their finishing wasn't wasn't quite there. But no, I thought it was a it was a it was a decent performance from us. I think the one thing for me that was a bit frustrating is the crossing. Um, not to give too much of the interview away, but you know, again, Edoma was kind of disappointed that he didn't get his crosses over, and it's just a there seems to be a curse on QPR when it comes to crossing, we're very good at a lot of things. We're very bad at some things. And one of those things is crossing. It never seems to get past the first man, whether it's a corner, free kick, or just a cross from open play. I don't get it because, you know, you have to be pretty decent to be playing in the second division of any country's league. So how are we not getting it past the first man all the time? It's just one of the most basic things in football, isn't it? And it's so frustrating because, you know, Adoma last year was probably off the bench, one of our most reliable crosses. You knew when he came on, you'd think, yeah, well, we're going to get a good cross now because he's, you know, Wallace has, you know, been up and down the wing the whole time, a bit tired now, but Adoma can come on with a bit of quality and a bit of precision. But it just seems to be a curse that whoever plays in those roles, just they can't seem to do it. And it is quite frustrating. And I think it happened. It was Luton and Huddersfield where it's happened. And in other games, I just, it really does baffle me. Um, anything else to cover from the Luton game that you guys are thinking of before we move on to Huddersfield? No, I don't think. No, I don't think so. No, it is all all been covered. Of anything, it was good to see um, Sam Field back as well. That's yes. the other thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very glad to see him back. And I think you know we're unlucky with injuries. We've got start to see like Field and Wallace come back, and now we've got three other players out injured for. And, you know, device out long term again. So this is, you know, the fact that we're doing as well as we are is quite impressive and fair play to the squad. Um, Moving on to Huddersfield. The first 10 minutes of this game were not nervy, but I just don't think we got going. What do you guys think? Well, they started off with one big chance, didn't they? Oli Turton came and had a header. Um, The end kept us at bay for the first 10, 15 minutes. Um, I mean, he had a good, I'd say he had a good game all game. Um, no, we didn't look. I mean, they got off on the front foot. That's kind of what a core brand side would do, you think? Um, but then we started to get hold of the ball a bit more, and then obviously the likes of Dazelle and Johansson uh, just dictating play, really. Yeah, yeah that... we don't seem. To Sorry, Michael, go ahead, mate. Sorry, yeah, I was just going to say we don't ever really seem to start games that well, and we haven't this season anyway. Um, I mean, obviously West Brom being one of the exceptions, we don't actually really start games very well. Um, that might be something that the club needs to look at. I'm sure we'll get onto the clean sheets and everything, but we we seem to be addressing a lot of the problems that, you know, we've had in terms of game management, clean sheets, 
but obviously now it's like, can we start a game as well as we finish games? That's kind of the next challenge, I think, for this team. Okay, yeah. Um, Senny, you mentioned, Dan, you mentioned Senny. He was brilliant in those first couple of minutes. He didn't have much to do beyond that, apart from right at the death where he makes another fantastic save. But that's, yesterday, he felt, it felt like he was back to his best, you know, like commanding, in the box, whenever a ball came in and if it was heading in his general direction, you knew he was coming for it and that he was taking it above anyone else. Those first, that first 10 minutes, that save he makes, I don't know if he knows much about it, but he gets in the way of it. He does a fantastic job and keeps us at level pegging. And, you know, Huddersfield's ambition throughout the game slowly started to deteriorate. But, you know, had they gone one and up, I don't know whether they would have gone for a second or whether they would sat back guessing they probably would have sat back and tried to play out the remaining, you know, 87 minutes or whatever it was. Um, they, so yeah, you know, I'm, I'm really happy that Senny is showing his best form again. Um, but yeah, Huddersfield, after about 50 minutes, I'd say, pretty much gave up, didn't they? And what, what, what do you guys think of this? Because I'm, if I was a Huddersfield fan, travelled down or watched that on TV, I'd have been absolutely fuming because they've just given up the chance to get three points. I don't, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't focus on them too much when watching the game. I mean, a lot of people said they 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 sat back and gave up. I lo- I listened to Corbran after the game, and he said that by bringing on Silver Thomas, well, his aim was they knew QPR would have the ball, want to play with the ball. And obviously, that's kind of our our philosophy and. Um, we did kind of dominate the ball. I think. I think part of it was because we did dominate the ball, especially with Johansson. Uh, I mean, he was he was superb all game, and I'm sure we'll touch on that in a minute. But um, yeah, he said that he wanted to, by bringing on Silver Thomas, he wanted to add a runner uh, to try and counter us, and obviously that is one of our our weaknesses. So I can see where you're coming from by them giving up, but I think it was more trying to expose us rather than get on the ball because they're not Huddersfield aren't particularly known for being this like possession based side they've got they, they're good off the on the counter and they're they're decent in the press so yeah I don't I don't know how much they they set off the ball was was an intention of giving up if you like Michael what do you think of Huddersfield's overall performance throughout the game um it was odd because obviously like you said the first 10 minutes it looked like we were in for a real game and from what I've seen of Huddersfield this season look like a decent side but there seems to be a bit of a theme and I wonder if this maybe answers your question a little bit about why they sat off is that obviously Barnsley seemed to have us where they wanted us and then they seemed to sit off in the second half of that game when we got into it Blackburn obviously just showed up with the intention of not conceding a goal not even trying anything else and obviously Huddersfield got to about 50-55 minutes today uh, yesterday and just decided that, well, it seemed like they decided that they were happy with a nil-nil. So I do wonder if it's that kind of that thing that Warburton talked about at the start of the season, which is like making teams like scared to play against us, that fear around, oh, we've got QPR away. It's going to be a tough game. I wonder if that plays into it with some managers and they think, oh, we've done well enough here. We're two nil up or it's nil-nil with... 30 to go and we've done quite well let's just you know sit back stop them from scoring because they're going to have loads of the ball I do wonder if it's a little bit of that yeah no yeah take the point um 
you've mentioned him already, Dan Johansson. For me, he was man of the match last night. I think he created the most chances in his career in, in English football. Uh, six chances created. I think three of them were corners, but you know, move on from there. Um, he he was fantastic again. Talking about players being back to their best, that was Johansson from last season, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I mean, yeah, like, like I said earlier, just he knows when to dictate the tempo, and I think he's, I think he's still a, a cut above. No disrespect to Harvey midfielders, but he still is a cut above what we've got in uh, in the midfield. I mean, he played the in the first half. He played that lovely Travella Travella pass to um, I think it was Lee Wallace, or it was on the left hand side anyway. Just just with just with absolute ease. I mean. He's yeah, he's well, he's our best progressor of the ball. And um, I mean, some people wanted him dropped two, three weeks ago. Um, but now he's come up with that kind of performance. So it kind of kind of proved the doubt is wrong, if you like. Yeah. Um, and I think you described it in your preview for the Luton game as a as a pace setter. And I think that's the perfect way to describe him. He does, you know, he d- dictates everything for us and everything that was good last night went through him. And, you know, his passing, his pressing. At the, he, I can't remember who. Yeah, it was Chair. Chair had a really good chance because he pressed and won the ball back out of nowhere. The Huddersfield just took a little bit too much time on the ball. He realised that, snapped in, won the ball, and Chair really should have scored. But, I mean, that would have been a fantastic goal for us in the moment. But, you know, we got the goal in the end. Um, but, yeah, Stefan Johansson really showing last night what we were what we've been missing from him a little bit so far this season and long may that continue. Uh, you know, he did go off hobbling, which is really worrying considering the injuries that we've got. And do you really want to be having to force Amos and Field to be playing majority of a game uh, week in, week out when they've just come back from injuries themselves? I, I would ha- edge on the size of side of caution and say no um, but seeing as I've mentioned him and we mentioned the fact that we got the goal in the end Luke Amos scoring an unmarked header I think think Huddersfield's defence still you know practicing social distance in there which is you know good for them um, but that was wholesome content wasn't it seeing how happy he was that was lovely yeah it was um I think everyone grabbed him and started, you know, hugging him in a massive huddle as soon as he scored. I mean, it was a. I was watching the highlights back, and he makes a run all the way from the halfway line. Very instinctive run, uh, and obviously, I don't know what Matty Pearson was doing. I think Lewis O'Brien at the time was pointing to him, but uh, to be fair to Lee Nichols, the goalkeeper, he was claiming crosses all night. To be fair to him, but Luke Amos just got in the right place at the right time in front of him and poked home from what two, three yards. Uh, yeah. Came out of nowhere almost, but also the delivery from um, from Chris Willock to turn turn. I think it was Colwell inside out uh, twice was brilliant. Yeah, he kind of Amos appears in the place where if Nichols comes for it and he misses the ball, but obviously clatters Amos, it's a penalty. So like he's just hung in the right place to make Nichols think that he can't come out and claim it because really that's a that's the perfect area for a goalkeeper. If not, like the defender's going to clear it if, if Amos isn't there. Um, so, yeah, fantastic to see him scoring. I kind of thought that Willock 
in the assist was taking a bit too much time. And I kind of was just getting a little bit worried that, you know, he was going this way and that way. And then it was just like a bit too much and there was no one near him. But yeah, to be fair to him, he, he got uh, he got it in the end. Um, Michael, we, you know, we've mentioned the fact that Huddersfield gave up. One thing they didn't give up on is uh, time wasting up until the last sort of five minutes. What did you sort of think of Huddersfield's time wasting, specifically Nichols in goal, and then really the refs, I guess, failure to deal with it? So another recurring theme, it seems like, at Loftus Road, which is opposition teams time wasting. I think um, Loft for Words tweeted something about he didn't realise how quick the keeper Nicholas was until they went a goal down and he was rushing to get the ball from goal kicks. Um, you know, time wasting, you know, whether we like it or not, unfortunately, it's become part of the game. And uh, unfortunately, it seems like a lot of championship teams, you know, are coming to Loftus Road and are looking to run down the clock. I just take it as a compliment, really. I mean, you know, there's, there's not been a time for a long time watching QPR where away teams have come to Loftus Road and been visibly scared of us and been forced to waste time. But, um, yeah, you know, again, on the point of the refs, the refs don't deal with much in the championship anyway, so to expect them to deal with time-wasting is probably ambitious. But yeah, I just take it as a compliment, really. OK, yeah. Um, and the last five minutes of the game, I found them quite painful because, you know, we, we had to make substitutions and all that, but we dominated that game for the, you know, ever since half-time, possibly towards the end of the second half, we played really well playing our way. And then once we'd got the goal, last five minutes, we, we start hitting it long and like and not being able to clear our lines and kick it up in the air. And you think, we've played so well just by playing what the way that we're good at playing football. All of a sudden, we're trying to do something different because it's the last five minutes. It nearly leads to a goal. We mentioned it already. Dieng makes a fantastic save. I just don't understand why, once you've taken off Charlie Austin, you'd be lo- playing long balls up to Chris Willock and the Lewis chair to win. Like it doesn't. It, it certainly doesn't make sense to me. Um, and I just think it's there's a like you know you're saying that we need to start games as we finish them, but not in this case because bloody hell we'd be losing games if we carry on like that any longer. It was, it was so worrying and I just don't get it I, I, do you reckon there's any sort of rational explanation behind this Dan? Well I mean we we shifted to almost like a 3-5-2 um, we lost to Zell and Johansson at that point so we haven't really got someone that can set the tempo um, of the game and try and slow the game down so we're playing a midfield three of field Bourne Amos which is as much as it's got its, its pros it's almost kind of shifting the fo- the possession to Huddersfield, if that makes sense, because they're almost happy to sit off them. And then, like you said, with the long balls, I mean, Willock's great for, for the long balls in corners, but that's something like 1v1, one, 1v2 one, one one, one situations. But he's got a, got a whole back back three on, on his case with a chair alongside him. So there's not much uh, focus on ball retention higher up the field. So it was kind of, yeah, the, 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 the change in system kind of led to Huddersfield trying to go at it for the last five minutes, really. Well, regardless, we got the three points and we've moved up to fourth place in the table, which is absolutely bloody brilliant. Um, so, you know... It's... Technically, technically, we're top of the non-parachute payment league. <laughs> three... No, I saw that on Twitter yesterday. What a trophy. What a trophy. <laughs> <laughs> oh... 
That is fantastic. <laughs> oh, fan- brilliant. I mean, it, it is so one-sided, the championship at times, when you know play- you can have players like Mitrovic roaming about up front and paying them ridiculous amounts of wages. So, you know, I- I'll take the trophy for being top of the non-parachute payment. Tra- You'll never sing that, basically. Fantastic stuff. <laughs> um, let's look at Derby then. Uh, just before the time in this Zoom call runs out, they've had a blinding week, results-wise, at least. Um, four points from a possible six against Bournemouth at home and Fulham away. Obviously, Fulham without a the aforementioned Mitrovic up front and kind of looked, I guess, weaker for it. But I guess what one of the things we can expect from Derby, amongst other things, is fight now. They're Certainly not giving up easy, are they? Um, no, no. I mean, what what the job that Rooney's doing there is, well, for me at least, pretty underrated with all the ongoings behind the scenes. I mean, I didn't catch the game last night, uh, but I saw the game against Bournemouth and I thought they were pretty impressive um, in, in stages. I mean, for, for the players he's got, he's got a clear identity. He likes to play the possession-based style with a bit of a press. Um, so they'll want the ball. I mean, they've got good young players, like the likes of Max Bird, uh, Jason Knight, and they've, oh, they've got Louis Sibley, but he doesn't seem to be playing at the minute. Um, yeah, they just look they just look a, a, a good outfit. And they're, they're not, they're not give, strangely, they're not giving up despite being, what, on, I think, on zero, zero, one points, something like that. Yeah, one point. Um so no, it would definitely be a tough test, and I don't think we can we can under underestimate their their qualities going into the game. Yeah, yeah. So they've um, if they hadn't been uh, deducted points, they would be on twenty two points right now, and we sit in nineteenth in the table, well, not well outside the relegation zone, but more comfortably clear. Um, Micah, just this is something that interesting that my dad sort of raised uh, about these last two games. He was insisting that Derby getting good results against Bournemouth and Fulham was actually good results for us because it limits the top two. Do you think that's the case? Or would you say that you would rather have Derby out of confidence and not, you know, in the mood for beating top teams? Um, It's only a good result for us if we beat them. Uh, Because then if they've beaten Bournemouth and... Who was it? Bournemouth and... Fulham. Fulham. Fulham, if they beat Bournemouth and Fulham and then they beat us, it doesn't really mean anything because we haven't picked up any ground. Um, but as you said and as Dan said, it's not going to be an easy game just because just because they're down there. Like you said, they'd have 22 points. They'd have 22 points if they um, hadn't had the points deduction, which would put them above Reading, Barnsley and Peterborough, who we didn't beat. So... I, I see what your dad is saying, but we do actually have to win ourselves for it to be good results for us. Yeah, I would definitely agree with you. I, I don't really want Derby coming into this game thinking that they could pull off another uh, surprise, really. Um, I'd quite happily have them a bit dejected and out of confidence. They're, they're a wounded animal at this point and they, they've got... No one's expecting them to stay up. So, you know, they're just going for it and... Well, going for it within reason. They've, know, got, they've, they've got nothing to lose, haven't they? Yes. They've got yeah, they've got lose. nothing to lose at all. They're, everyone knows that they're virtually down already. 
but they've given it all to stay up. And, you know, fair play to them. I don't think I've necessarily loved Derby the whole time, but, you know, the players are actually doing a pretty decent job, all things considered. They've only scored 19, 16 goals, sorry, and 18 conceded, which, again, you know, is quite impressive, I guess, for where they are, minus two goal difference. So they've never been thrashed so far this season. They've had a lot of draws. I think it's 10. So, you know, we're not necessarily going to see them coming at us. I imagine they'll probably sit back, do you think? Well, it's uh, interesting because I was, I was just looking at our recent recent form. We've got three clean sheets out of our last four. And I believe of our last five games, we've only conceded one open play goal, which was um, Jack Colback versus Forrest, because obviously the Blackpool goal was a penalty. Um, so you, you look at that and you say, you know, they're a team that don't score too many and have, have had quite a few nil-nils. So you're looking at it and thinking, wow, if we do everything right on the defensive end, as we have been in the past five games or so, it should just be about scoring goals. But on paper, you would think that would be the case. Um, it never tends to be that simple with QPR, as we all know. But um, I don't know, as much as, as, much as those, those results against Fulham and Bournemouth are concerning, I just think I've seen a real change in the way we defend and the way we see games out that is filling me with a lot more confidence than a month ago. Yeah. Um, so last week we talked about uh, points, targets for the months. We've hit the magical 10 points with the win last night. So it's 10 from 12. Obviously, you've got a fantastic opportunity now to take that uh, a bit further and go on to 13 points from this month, which would be our best total so far. And a win could also take us into third spot, which is, you know, above one of the parachute payment clubs. I mean, do we get a bonus for that as well? This is fantastic. Um, so quite a brief uh, preview here, but we have got to move on to the main event eventually, which is going to be the interview. Um just before, we'll take some predictions. So starting with Dan, please, your prediction for Monday night's game. Um, I think we're going to win 2-1. 2-1. 2-1. Bit of- take nine from the three. Perfect. And Micah? Uh, I'm going to back us for another clean sheet. I'm going to say, I'm going to say 1-0 Rangers. Yep, I think I would agree with you. I'm heading up there. So hopefully it's not 1-0. Hopefully it's like 5-0, but you know. We'll wait and see. So, yeah, as I mentioned, we've got a interview that's you know, pre-recorded, um, and that's we, that was with uh, the legend that is Uncle Albert. Uh, we're obviously, you know, very proud of this interview, and we do hope that you enjoy it. Albert was in really great form uh, on Monday, and he was, you know. He, he was. He looked like at least that he enjoyed it as well, which is nice to see. And we're of course very grateful that he gave up his time to speak to us bunch of amateurs. Um, so the next voice you're going to hear is the voice of Sam Taylor, the man behind our generation, and he will be asking so, the first Albert, question. Thank you for joining Sam us. Um, we're going to just ask a few questions about uh, your time at QPR and stuff, uh, and just all that sort of things. So. Uh, first off, just a general question about this season. How, how's it been going so far? Your second year at QPR, personal, uh, personally, how's it gone as a team as well? You enjoying well, it? Well, my second year at QPR so far is going well. You know, at the moment, as you know, as you all can tell, I'm in a team now, so 
it's all smiles for me as an individual player because when you're playing, it's all, all happy days, especially when the team is doing well. We haven't been playing brilliantly, but the team is winning and we're in the top six at the moment in the playoff zone. So I think we just have to sort of sustain that. And as a player now, I'm playing in a different role as well. As you all know, I'm a winger. I'm the only winger left in the team at the moment, but now I'm playing um, fullback. I was fourth choice. If so many supporters say that, I was fourth choice, um, right wing back. And now I think um, I'm sort of sustaining that position. You know, I know I've got um, Ozzy, I've got um, Mo chasing my back, you know, so I just have to sort of just do well and stay in the team. And the team is doing well so far since I've been in it. And I've started, I think, six games in a row. And that's the first time I've done that since I've been here. Now I just want to obviously play as many games as I can. So as an individual, so far, I think I've been doing well. I'm in the team. I'm happy. I'm smiling. The team is doing well. So I can't really complain. <laughs> yeah, uh, thanks for coming on. Uh, so the performance against Luton, I thought it was, a you know, like, team-wise with better performance than what we've seen recently was the, the international break was that crucial to sort of giving a few players a rest uh, nice one Alex um, yeah um, against Luton I think it was good you know us coming back from international break and usually when players come back from international um, break the, the performance are a bit like laboured you know and it's like we're trying but it just doesn't work or doesn't connect but this time I think we got that right you know as a team we done well as a defensive. Well, I'm actually speaking like a defender now. As a defensive unit, we done really well, extremely well, and obviously we leave it out to um, our magicians like Elias Chair, Chris Willock, and um, Charlie, our experienced striker, to do the manage and um, do the damage, and that's what they done really well. And I think we done well coming back from international break, and it's always a good feeling when you come back from, from international break and you win. And I think um, as a team, we done extremely well. Good stuff. Um, in general, well, specifically in the game and the championship, um, there's 14 teams, I think, that use a three at the back system um, with wing backs. So I was just wondering um, how you enjoy playing the wing back role and whether you think you've adapted to it well. Um, I, like you said, there's about four, 14 teams that play um, five at the back, I'll say. That's wing back, you know. And for me, as I told you in the past, um, I'm the only winger left in our teams. So my mindset is to just attack, you know, and that's what it demands in win-back position. And obviously, you have to defend and then attack. And for me, I'm just thinking attack, attack, attack. But that's where, obviously, you have to be sensible, use my experience head, listen to the manager and say, look, Albert, what you need to think about is defend first before you attack, you know. And even just even against Luton, the other day, I put four crosses. And for me, there were four awful crosses, but at the same time, I'm thinking I've done my defensive duty. So that's that's something I got out of the game positive. But I think if it was role reverse as a winger, I'd be like, that's the worst game I've had, you know, especially having four crosses and it's non-successful, you know. So I think my mentality now has changed as a wingback. Just defend first and if I can take the team forward, try to assist. You know, right now you're living every QPR fan's dream, really, aren't you? So like, you know, <laughs> How fun is it? I mean, living up my dream, certainly. Like, what is, what's it like? How fun is it to play uh, down at the loft at the moment? Uh, listen, um, you know, like you said, so far I'm living every supporter's dream. And for me, it's, 
it's still surreal. Like since my first interview I done with Paul, you know, um, I said, look, I come as a player, but being a supporter, supporting the team and uh, the team that you love as a youngster, and obviously now I'm a bit mature playing for them, and even just gracing the pitch with the players like. Um, Charlie Austin, when I used to come and watch him play, now I'm actually playing the same pitch as Chaz, which is just iconic, you know. And even when he scored the other day, I didn't even know if he saw me. I just went alone, started cheering with the supporters, you know, like just singing along, celebrating. You know, I just, that, that was in my element, you know, just just celebrating the goal. I forgot about my players. I was just literally just, <laughs> just interacting with the supporters, just singing along with them, you know, and that's a great moment, you know, I'm actually celebrating goals like supporters and obviously I know I'm a player first and foremost but I'm still living the dream and the beautiful thing is I'm playing and the team is um, doing well and I hope that it may continue. Hi Albert, uh, pleasure to talk to you. Uh, this question actually comes from my dad who I think is probably your biggest fan. Yes, <laughs> my. Uh, but um, I think it's a question every QPR fan wants to answer to which is why on earth did you not sign for us sooner? Uh, <laughs> hey, between me and you, why on earth did not sign for QPR sooner? Well, the scouts that they had were rubbish. <laughs> Let me tell you that. Hopefully they're not still here. <laughs> That's an honest question. You know, I think I even done an interview when I scored um, two goals past um, QPR, I think six years ago. You know, when I played for, well, about four seasons back when I played for Aston Villa, I scored two goals. And they asked me exactly the same question. And I said, well, they probably missed the opportunity. And don't get me wrong, QPR tried to sign me in the past, maybe six six years ago. But I think it was more fees involved where, obviously, I was worth too much. I was just too good, you know, for QPR, them, them days. <laughs> but in, in all honesty, I think they missed the opportunity. I'll be honest with you. And I think... That's what teams, not just QPR, local teams, I think need to look for like your local youngsters. Don't go abroad. This is all to other teams, you know. They need to look locally for the talented player because there's loads of talented players. And sometimes I know there's scouts there, but they can easily just go to a local pitch and scout. That's why it's called scout. Yes, now you use internet, but grassroots football, there's no... um. Why scouts there, you know, unless obviously if they record it and put it out. So I think for scouts, if you're being a scout on a Sunday, Sunday morning, you should go out and scout. Don't go to Brazil and scout. Don't go to Spain and scout because the same talent that you're going to scout is on your doorstep. And I think that's the opportunities the scout missed out. And obviously I'm still happy that I'm here. Don't get me wrong. But like you said, if I was here earlier, maybe my performance level will probably be even higher than what I'm producing now because I'm a bit older, but I'm still putting a shift in. <laughs> no excuse, but I'm still putting a shift in. All right, Albert, pleasure to talk to you. Um, my, my first question is, how did you get into supporting QPR? How did I get into supporting QPR? Um, first and foremost, obviously, I supported United when I was um, when I wasn't living in West London because I wasn't living in West London all all the time. You know, as a youngster, I lived in North London where I should have supported Arsenal, but I didn't support Arsenal. You know, and just been moving up and down the country when I was young, and um, we ended up in West London at the age of I think 12, 13. This is early two thousand season. You know, and at the time, I think United were winning the treble and whatnot. And when you're a youngster, you always go for a team that's, 
you know, winning trophies, you know, and that's what that's why I support United because they're just winning trophies. So I just thought, let me just go for United. But when I moved locally, I knew that QPR was on my doorstep. So it's either I support Chelsea, Brentford, obviously um, QPR or Fulham. And I just thought I need to go for a local side. And most of my friends were supporting QPR. Before I used to actually... Um, I know this might be painful, but I remember this in QPR. I said, oh, who's QPR? Who are they? You know, I can't support them. They're not good enough because I was supporting United, you know, at the time, you know. So it's okay, who are they? They're not good enough. I can't support QPR. Who supports QPR? And then now I'm one of the main supporters, you know, from the age of 14, I believe. I just thought I needed a local side, you know, and from there, I just never looked back since, you know come to games when I'm not playing, supporting them, even watch my friend. Um, I don't know if you know him, Yannick Balassi, when he used to play for Plymouth. This is like nearly eight years ago. I used to um, watch him, you know, against QPR. When he used to come now, he used to come school end, watch it away fan. I was actually in there, away fan as well, you know, believe it or not. No one really knew who I was, but I used to actually come in the away end and support. But obviously I was supporting my friend at the same time, supporting QPR, I watched a few championship games as well when I was younger and some of the premiership games as well when we're in the premiership, you know, but no one really knew. I used to come just put my hat on or put my hoodie on, just sit there and watch. And, and them times, I didn't really used to jump up and down, just kept myself quiet because I didn't want to be um, seen. So it's just more just more of a disguise, you know, so unless if you knew who I was, where some supporters sort of picked up who I was, but I just kept myself to myself because I wasn't sitting in the VIP suite, by the way. Real supporter. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Just over a year ago in your signing interview, um, your ambition was to get promoted with QPR. Do you still hold that same confidence now? Yes, you know, like my first season here, like I said, my first interview, my first thing that I said is I'm here for promotion and it still sticks, you know, and obviously I didn't play as many games where... As a player, I'm not saying as a, as a support, as a player, I was more disappointed in myself coming to the team that I love and not playing as many games, knowing that I could help the team. Obviously, there's other situations why I wasn't playing, not everyone knows, but just knowing that I could help the team and I wasn't getting a chance. It just it was so but it was it was so painful, it was burning me inside, but no one could actually feel how I felt at the time, you know. And as a player, yes, you want to play, you want to be happy, but for me, when I support a team like this, I know I can help them like now I'm doing. My ambition is still to get promotion in the premiership and still play in the premiership. Like I said to like many people, if I play more than three games in the premiership, I can easily retire because I played one and a half game. I call it one and a half, but people say it's two appearances in the premiership. So if I could play more than three games in the premiership and retire, I'll be happy, especially getting promotion with a team that I love and playing with them in the premiership, that will be amazing. I still stick by it. I still believe we can get promotion. I'm not afraid of that. I can't shy away from that. I just want a team to get promotion. Whether I'm playing or I'm not playing, I just want to get promotion with the team. Yeah. Um, so let's uh, think back to the first cup game of the season, penalty shootout. <laughs> You're stepping up to take that. What will be the winning penalty? Were you sort of thinking about the celebration that you'd eventually do, the QPR fans? Were you just thinking about slotting it away? I'll be honest with you, that game I should have scored, you know, my left foot shot during the first half, you know, I thought, yeah, that's going to be my first goal this season. 
But with the penalty shoot, as you all know, it doesn't matter if you're um, League One side or Championship or Premiership side. It's, it could go either way, you know. And for us, we look forward to that cup game, trying to get as far as we can in the cup competition. And having the supporters back at the time was just unbelievable. That's the day I've been waiting for, you know, just to play in front of the supporters and especially away supporters as well. You know, they made that journey there. I know it's in London. But for me, when it went extra time, I was thinking, oh, I can't miss a penalty, you know. I miss penalties in my life, you know, but that's that's normal sometimes. I was thinking, oh, not for QPR. If I miss one, I don't know what I could do myself, you know. That's the first one I was thinking because in my head, I said, look, I want to be the fifth penalty taker because I'm going for the glory. But no one knew this. So I'm thinking, I can't miss because if it comes to me, I need to score. And it just happens that when I was the fifth penalty taker, they miss and miss and all our penalty takers scored. So I knew, yes, it's down to me. And even when I was walking down, my heart was beating so fast that no one could see, only I could hear my heartbeat. But at the same time, I could hear the supporters singing my name. I'm like, please don't sing my name in my head. You know, that's more pressure. <laughs> in my head, I'm thinking, please don't sing my name. But obviously you have to relish that moment thinking, wow, they're singing my name. If I miss, are they going to boo me? Or are they going to just, you know, tell me to do one? Even though I support keeper, I'm thinking, there's so much things going through my head, but obviously it's just so quick that I just thought, I'm going to pick my spot and just put the ball at the back of the net. That's all I just, I didn't even say I'm going left or right, just to pick a spot, but I forgot if I chose left or right. And since this day, I didn't even know if it went right or left. I just knew I scored. And once I scored, I just thought, yes, I can just go in with the supporters. I really, I shouldn't have. But just that moment, seeing the supporters there and just enjoying that moment with them was just um, unbelievable. And I'm telling you, I got um, punished for that. You know, obviously I had to do um corona test for God knows how many days. And I nearly got fined, but I think the club let me off. But between you, I think I'll probably do that again if I score a winning goal at Wembley. <laughs> if it comes down to it, I'll go through the whole crowd, you know, with the supporters. If it was a winning goal, I'll 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 do that. I'll do that again. You know, I'll, obviously I try to hold off now. You know, I'll be I'll be um I'll be strict because the pandemic is serious. Corona is serious. I have to be careful. I have to respect that. Respect my teammates. You know, I don't want my teammates to isolate. You know, which will affect them. But I'm telling you, if this was at Wembley playoff finals and I score. I relive that moment, but obviously I'll go over the top and just go through the... I think I'll shake every supporter's hand. Mm-hmm. I'll have every supporter in the stadium till midnight before they all leave, if we win at Wembley. Well, that, I think that celebration's certainly uh, iconic now. Um, you already mentioned the Aston Villa game in 2017. Um, it's <laughs> one that's kind of sticks in the mind because it, around that time I sort of first realised that you were a QPR fan. Um, <laughs> how conflicted it were you sort of on that day? Because you... It was two goals you scored. You scored a penalty, winning the game for Villa against the team that you support. What's it like <laughs> playing like that? Well, no, playing against your team that you love, you know, you can have like mixed feelings. You think, well, I just support them. I score so I can still celebrate whether the supporters know that you support or you don't support. And that, funny enough, before I scored a penalty, I missed a chance and I got a stick by a supporter. So I looked up thinking, should I cuss him back? You know, you know, as a player, that's your instant reaction thinking, does he know I support QPR or what? Is he trying to mug me off? So in my head, I was thinking, should I cuss him or should I just leave it? But how I am, I just thought, you know what? I'll just leave it. And then we had a penalty and I was thinking, oh no, 
this this team I support. And I'm sure this, some of the supporters know that I support them. Do I score? Or do I, obviously at the time, I wasn't thinking, do I miss? But I was thinking, do I score? Or do I let someone else take the penalty? Because games before, I've been taking the penalty. So I was thinking, should I take this penalty? Or should I let someone take? And I think Robert Snodgrass actually wanted to take the penalty. And I sort of thought of, I sort of fought him off, but our captain at the time said, no, I was taking it because obviously I scored a penalty. So I was thinking, oh no, that's pressure on me now. What do I do? Do I just pick a corner or do I just kick it in the middle? And I think I literally just kicked the ball and it went over, I think, Smith and Alex Smith at the time in goal. It went over him. I was thinking, oh, I scored. And then usually when I score, I'm there dancing. So I was thinking, what do I do? <laughs> Do I dance or do I just turn around and just walk back? So I just sort of just turn around and just walk back. And then I scored a second goal and that was there. And I just put my hand up and just went, that's me. I'm never going to celebrate, you know, because obviously it's the team that I support. And really deep now, I just wanted to dance because that's what I was used to. Because that season, I just scored and go so fun. And that was my trademark, just dancing. But I think the two goals that I scored at Loftus Rose, Loftus Road at the time was the time that I just thought, you know what, I'm not going to celebrate because the team that I support. And even when I was playing at Middlesbrough, Aston Villa, I used to tell some of the players, look, I'm going to be playing for QPR one day. You know? That's my team. I want to play for QPR. And some of the ones that knew me, now I'm playing for QPR. They said, look, you did say you're going to play for QPR. Now, look, you're playing for them. So obviously, that was one of my hidden ambition, you know, like, it wasn't really hidden because there's times where I had to look out for the QPR result and then the change room be like, yeah, QPR won, QPR won again, QPR won. You know, just just to annoy some of my teammates. They're like, why are you looking at QPR? I'm like, just like you looking at Arsenal, I'm looking at QPR. They won today, you know, I'm going to play for them. Watch when I play for them and I score against you guys. Then what, <laughs> you know? So I used to sort of like just entertain them in that way. And even sometimes I used to wear QPR top to training. No, some of you don't know this, but I used to wear my QBR top to training. You know? <laughs> right then. Um, so um, how different is it when you put on the hoop shirt compared to other teams that you've played on in the past? Um, how does it compare when I put on the um, blue shirt? Um, for me, obviously, as a player, I have to just think professionally. I'm not just thinking as a player, um, as a supporter. I'm just thinking as a player. So... Obviously, the first moment when I walked in front of the um, supporters, um, I was just having them um, nerves. I was just so nervous, you know, like just, I don't think no one will know this, but I was so nervous because it's the team that I support. You know, as a supporter, as a player, well, as a player, you just want to do well in front of a crowd. Let's put it that way. That's We're entertainers, you want to do well, because when you don't do well, you get jeered, you get booed and whatnot. If you do well, you get higher praises, you get applauded. And for me, I was so nervous. Even playing in front of the 2,000 supporters first, you know, before they introduced the football restart, in front of the 2,000 supporters, I was so nervous. Uh, that I even lost focus in my game. My touches were rubbish because I wanted to do so well, you know. And some of you might, know, not, might not know this, but I was so disappointed in myself. Just in front of that 2,000, that my touches were so rubbish. I just couldn't go home and just be happy. I couldn't even pick a positive from that game, even though I'd done something good. I went home so disappointed, thinking, oh, I can't even perform in front of 2,000. How am I going to perform in front of 15,000? And now playing in front of 15,000 or 16,000, you know, 
at home is just amazing. Obviously, I'm past that nerve stage. I make mistakes, don't get me wrong, but even the last game, like I said, I was disappointed on my crosses, even coming off as a sub and the whole stadium cheering my name. I'm like, I didn't even play well, but yet they showed me that love and that love. Next game, I just want to go and just show them 100%. That's why I support the team, you know, not not knowing that they didn't play well and the supporters are so giving me stand ovation. It's just unbelievable, you know, just amazing. I'm not going to take that for granted, but I just want to go out and play well and just just do it for the supporters. You know, I'm doing it for myself at the same time, but it's just doing it for 16,000. That's at the stadium and obviously 20,000 plus that's at home, you know, and that's the feeling that I've got now. That's the confidence. I just, just going into games. Yes, I'm a defender, but I still want to entertain the supporters now. Um, as one of the um, experienced heads in the dressing room, could you give me uh, or us an insight into how um, like you, you mentor the younger players in the dressing room? I'm saying that, like, I'm an experienced player. I think it's, it's a given in the, any change room, especially the players that are plus 30s. That's what I call them. Like, that's what I call ourselves, like Lee Wallace, Chaz, Stefan, and Andre Gray as well coming in. And I think it's just more like just telling the youngsters, you know, like, yes, it's a platform for you. QPR is a platform for you, but you've got something good here at this club. You do well. Yes, you get scouted. You do well with the team. You get promotion. It would be amazing. We just try to guide them. But at the same time, like myself, I'm relishing a new role, playing right wing back. I'm learning off Ozzy. I'm learning off Mo, uh, Mo. And even in games, I'm telling Diggy, Dicky, Rob Dicky, look, you're, I'm, you're younger than me, but you need to tell me what to do. You know, I know it might sound straight. I'm contradict, contradicting myself, but I'm actually asking Rob Dicky, what do I need to do? Where do I need to stand? Because I haven't played right back before. Yes, I'm a winger, but I'm actually learning off him. You know, so that shows great character that we can all learn from each other. It doesn't matter if you're experienced or young players, you know. I can only guide them in the way where I've been, how to get to the top, you know. That's the only experience I can sort of bring to the team. But talent-wise, they're more than capable to hold their, to hold their own because we all make mistakes as players. But for me, it's just helping each other, you know. It doesn't matter if you're experienced or someone is 16 in the team. You can still learn from the... 16-year-old or the 34-year-old. And I'm learning off from Dickie, like I said, Ozzy, and even Mo. They're all younger than me, but I'm willing to learn. Obviously, I learn from the coaching staff as well. They guide me, especially playing right wing back. I still have to learn how to tackle. Yes, you must hear your footballer. You should tackle, but I'm a winger. I don't usually slide tackle, but now I'm putting tackles in like I'm winning the World Cup, you know. But, you know, so, yeah, I have to. My shorts are getting dirty now. Now I'm thinking, oh, I've got dirty shorts now because I've been sliding. Whereas before I'm skipping past people, now I'm actually stopping people trying to skip past me, you know. So I'm learning even though I'm an experienced player. So that's the role now, you know. Yeah, and just to just to follow on from that a little bit, obviously, uh, you are one of the more experienced players in the team. You've obviously got really great experience in the championship with a lot of championship teams, but you're still performing at a very, very high level for QPR consistently. So I was just wondering, how have you managed to kind of like maintain that high standard for yourself as you've gotten older? Well, as an experienced player, I think um, it comes by playing as well. I think even when you're young, when you play games, you get experience. And I think it's just from playing games and obviously it's off the field as well, keeping yourself in shape, you know, just 
doing things in professional manner. And I think that's one thing I've done for like nearly 15 years. That's the reason why I've been playing games, you know, and staying injury free. You know, I think I've played over, God knows, 500 games or something. And for me, I even call myself the um, championship veteran, you know. I'm not a legend yet, but I call myself the championship veteran because I'm still playing at a high level, you know. I'm, I'm actually keeping up with the youngsters and you're just trying to be fit. Once you're fit and you can kick a ball, you can last. It's just being professional, maintaining your lifestyle. And that's what I'm trying to rub on onto these youngsters, you know, even just early in the morning when you come and do a bit of gym work. Yes, you know, just... Just preparing yourself, you know, just managing yourself well. And I still believe I still got five good years in me. Yes, I might say that now, but I still believe I could play to my shirt number. My shirt number is 37. I'm 33, I'll be 34. So I still believe I got four good years in me, you know, and that's that's my target. You know, I still got ambitions, even though I want to play premiership again. I still want to play till I'm 37. So my target is to reach my shirt number. And obviously, if I can go beyond that. That's another level. So just keeping out the youngsters, or should I say the other way, the youngsters keeping up with me when I'm playing right wing back. So um, you know, who from this current crop of players in the first team, these youngsters, who's gonna have a good career at the top level? Do I mean, think? I don't want to put pressure on the youngsters in our team, you know. I think they're all blessed first and foremost, you know. I think they're happy that they're here. Like I said in the past, QPR's a platform club, if you do well. There'll be scouts scouting around to try and get our best players, you know. Like I'll start from my favorite keeper at the back, um, Sen, Super Sen at the back. And I'm sure if we if he doesn't get promotion with QPR, hope that he gets promotion with QPR, but I'm sure that someone will probably take him away from us, you know. And I hope that doesn't happen because he's a great keeper. And for me, I don't really like defenders, even though I'm a defender. But Rob Dickey has been exceptional. You know, he's been fantastic. And I think he's got a bright future ahead of him because, you know, he's still young. And I still believe that he can play. For, if you're a gambler, I'll probably put money on him to play for England one day, Rob Dickey. You know, and I think sometimes he don't know how good he is, you know. And I think he's, he's amazing. Like I said, I don't really pick defenders as one of my favourite players or keepers. But them two... They're a stand now, and I know like everyone will say Elias Chair, Chris Willock. I think both of them are are magicians, you know, like in the middle of the park, you know, the two bookends, you know, if they're both there and sharing magic in the middle of the park, you know, assists, goals. And I always speak to them, look, if you two don't step up, then we've got nothing. I'm not putting pressure on them. I, mean, I want them to do well, you know. I want to elevate them, you know, to their best pot potential. And I think them two are blessed as well. And even um, Andre, young Andre in the mid middle, in the middle, Brazil, he's amazing as well, you know, holding mid. He's more like on some hero, like Dom, you know, because obviously um, Chris and Illy will get all the limelight, you know, they score the goals, assist. But same way like Dom and... Andre, they've been amazing in the middle of the park and everyone knows Luke Amos. I know he's coming back from injury. I can go through the whole team. You know, I think if I go through the whole team, I'll be here all day. But as you know, we're, all, we're, we're, very, we're very blessed with um, youngsters in our team and even the ones coming through the academy, even like young Steve, you know, our striker, young Chaz, you know, we're very blessed with youngster, youngsters. So just them getting the opportunity to showcase their um the talent, you know, for QPR. And then hopefully one day they'll get promotion with QPR or get sold. You know, like I said, it's a platform club for the youngsters. So we're very blessed to have um, talented players with us. 
going to be tough for some of them youngsters to get in the team and <laughs> in like you have been over. Um, just uh, another question, a little bit more of a personal question again. No problem. Um, so obviously, you, you said earlier last season, uh, you spent quite a lot of time sort of as like a very effective, might I say, impact sub and at the start of this season as well. Uh, obviously, like you said, you started six games in a row now, which you hadn't done for us beforehand. Um, so I'm just wondering, you know, when you're waiting for that opportunity to sort of get in the team and show what you can do and you're getting maybe those like 15, 20 minute cameos, how hard is it to sort of remain like focused and disciplined and take them opportunities when they come? I mean, as a player, it's very hard, you know, because when you sign for a team, automatically you just want to play. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter who you are. If you're 15 or 38, you just want to play, you know. And in the beginning, when I first came, I played a few games and I thought, oh, yes, I've got my confidence. And then all of a sudden I'm out of the team. So I'm thinking, well, if I'm out of the team, everywhere I've been, if I'm out of the team, I look at myself. I don't look at the manager. I don't look at other players. It's just I look at myself thinking, what do I need to do? to get into the team. It doesn't matter who plays ahead of me. I'm just thinking, what do I need to do? Who's playing in my position? Why are they playing? What do I need to do to get ahead of them? You know, And that's what I always sort of target. It doesn't matter what team I am at. You know, And for me, I look to myself for, how come I can't get into this team? You know, And for me, as an individual, I worked hard. And I still wasn't getting in the team. So that's where, as a player, you have to be very positive and very strong. If it's down to you, yes, you have to put your hand up and say, look, I've tried everything that I could. And for me, in my situation, I felt like I tried everything that I could, but I still wasn't getting that feel, that love that to get a game or to start a game. So, but then I sort of had to wrap around something around my head and say, look, yes, I know I'm going to be a sub now, but if I'm a sub, if I come on, I could only play my part. And I thought that's what I done really well, extremely well till end of last season, you know, even though I thought I should have started more, but I'll still get him game time, don't get me wrong. So now I'm in a team. I just have to be mentally strong, do well off the pitch and on the pitch to stay in the team. And that's that's an individual, as a player, that's that's your job. You want to do well, you want to play, like I'm saying, Aussie, Mo. They're behind me. I'm sure they can't wait for me to always. I'm not saying they wish bad on me, but that's natural. You know, when you have health, healthy competition, if a player doesn't play well, you might get your chance. And when you get your chance, you have to take it. And I think that's what I've done so far. I've got my chance and I took it. Albert, just a final question now. Thank you for coming and answering all our questions so well. Um, just so our website is here with the aim of harnessing young people's potentials, trying to give them that step up into the into the industry or at least create a portfolio of work for them. Uh, to get to the level you have in your industry, you must have once been quite ambitious and raw and had that uh, end goal in sight. Do you have any parting words of wisdom for just young people in any profession in how they can take that step forward and, you know, uh, move towards their potential fully? I mean, the only words of wisdom that I could say is, I always say this to youngsters, just be determined, work hard. And especially if you focus on your end goal, you will succeed. You know, just be focused, be determined, work hard and don't get sidetracked. Because once you get sidetracked, then obviously your mind is off your target. That's one thing I'll say. So just stay focused, be determined, work hard, 
and aim for your end goal. Don't be sidetracked. Okay, so that was our chat with Albert Adoma. Uh, and yet again, we are so grateful for him to come on and spending his time with us. So, guys, I really enjoyed it. What, what did you guys think of uh, what you had to say? Um, no, it was a good. It was a good chat. I mean, um, I mean, it was great to speak to him. Obviously, him being the form he was, he was very upbeat about um, about our future and about the, the the team in general. Some of the things I found quite interesting, like um, his his role, his perception of him as a as a wing back. I thought that was quite interesting. Like being one of the experienced guys in the dressing room, how he how he was still learning from the likes of Rob Dickey behind him. Uh, and yeah, just just kind of still learning at, at such an experienced age. Yeah, I guess he can't have played wing back too much then if he was, you know, the way he was talking about it. And there's a few things throughout the interview that I was sort of like, once I heard them, I thought, no, yeah, that makes complete sense. But before the interview, I'd have never have thought of him saying it at all. But he was honest. He was, you know, he was straightforward with us. Michael, anything sort of stand out for you in the interview? Um, do you know what? I think one thing from the interview, which I'm sure everybody that listened to it would feel, was that you could just feel a genuine passion and love for the football club that he has. You know, the whole way through the interview, just even him talking about wearing um, his QPR shirt to training when he played for Aston Villa and checking the QPR results after the game. Like, you know, it felt genuine. Like, it's not fake. The guy isn't just saying he supports QPR just to win people over. You can feel he is a genuine QPR fan. And from minute one of that interview, you could tell he loved being being in that Zoom call with us, just being able to talk to some QPR fans. Uh, so it's just great. He's a real asset to the football club, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. He mentioned in the interview, which I'm sure you would have picked up on, that you know after the goal against Luton, he was celebrating in front of the fans, dancing in front of the fans because you know he was saying how much he, you know, that's what he loves doing when he scores goals. And I hope at some point he does score at Loftus Road because it would be absolutely fantastic with all the fans there. Um, I was really hoping it would be last night because then we could take credit for it some in some way. <laughs> um, but yeah, he again last night when once Amos had scored, everyone had done the celebration with Amos and yeah, they'd hugged him. And then you look down the front, he's in front of the paddocks dancing with the QPR fans. He's just having <laughs> such a good time now. And I and I absolutely love that. It's great to see him so happy. Um there's a couple of things that I thought, like I said, that I took for grant granted with him. You know, last season he didn't actually get get that much game time when you think about it. And I just expected him for so really stupidly. I just expected him to be happy with that, and yet, why? Why should he be, you know, happy with not actually playing? He wants to play for his club. Um, so you know, I was that. That was something that I sort of took away from it. That I kind of just assumed that he was sort of content the whole time. Um, but why? You know, as a professional player, why should you be content with sitting on the bench? Um, yeah, I, I think. You know, the, the whole thing with just because you're playing for the club you support, got to remember, you know, it's still his job. He's still a professional and football's the thing he loves more than anything in the world. So I'm, I'm sure he loves playing for QPR, but like anybody, I'm sure he loves playing football more than that. So, you know, he, he had to be patient and he had to wait for his chance and maybe it might not have been how he 
envisioned it when he signed for the club. But now I don't think anyone can argue that he's not one of the first names on the team sheet. So it's all worked out in the end. So what was, if you were to pick his, in your opinion, his best answer to one of the questions, what, which one was it? Um, uh, the one, well, the one where he said he'd shake hand, hand of every QPR fan in the playoff final Wembley. I'll, I'll wait. I'll take him <laughs> up from that offer in a, at the end of May. That's out on my social media as well, so you can't back away from it. It's it's clipped up. That's out there forever. Micah, what was your favourite answer from Albert? I think for me, I can't remember who asked it. If it was you, Dan, or Lucas, but somebody asked him like which of the the current young players at the club he felt could go on and have a really good career at Premier League level maybe and it was interesting to sort of get his uh get his opinion I think there's I think he said Dickie Dieng, Willock, Chair and he said Dazelle as well and I think it was interesting to kind of get uh, that young Kelman as well oh he he said Dickie for England he did say Dickie, he said Rob Dickie could play for England one day. I have also said that in an article I wrote about a year ago, by the way. Like, so if that does happen, I do want some credit. I do want some credit for Rob Dickey playing for England. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was interesting to hear because obviously he's there every day. He sees them, like we see him on a Saturday and a Wednesday. He's, he sees them Monday to Friday training. So it's interesting to get his opinion on who he thinks those kind of talented young guys are. He said Stephen Duke McKenna as well, by the way, which I thought was interesting. I like the fact that both of you have picked answers uh, to questions that I asked. So all in all, <laughs> fantastic interview, I have to say. Um, I, I, actually, one of my favourite answers for him, he, he said about, um, you know, about not signing sooner, which is your question, Micah. And, I, you know, he... He was honest, making jokes about the the fact that the scouts weren't good enough and stuff like that. <laughs> you know, like that. That's he, he has got that sort of cheeky side to him. But I like to think that, you know, now that he signed for us, he's got a real purpose in the squad. You know, something that you asked him, Dan, about his sort of mentoring role for the uh, younger players in the team. And I feel like if he had signed earlier, he would have he possibly could have signed at the wrong time and signed for like a Hasselbank side or, you know, I loved Holloway, but, you know, one of Holloway's, when Holloway came back and, you know, those teams weren't really going anywhere. Maybe, you know, that probably isn't quite the time frame. but even still before that, you know, if he had signed during the Warnock season, fantastic. But before that is more likely, you would probably say, and those teams that he, he would have played in weren't, you know, they weren't any good. But now he's got a chance to play in a fantastic team, be loved and do something really meaningful at the back end of his career with the team that he loves the most, which I think is something quite special. And if it does happen, it's brilliant. Um, the other thing I was really impressed at, he, you know, saying that he wants to carry on till he's 37. We mentioned Lee Wallace being, you know, shouldn't be this good at this age. Would you guys be happy with him staying on at QPR till 37? I'd be happy if he stayed till he was 50, to be honest with you. <laughs> he can stay as long as he wants. He's amazing. Um, nah, it's, 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 good, uh, it's good that he has that goal in mind. I think some players kind of just play till their body just gives up. But, you know, he's got a, got a goal in mind still. So, you know, we'll see. We will see. Yeah. I think there's a lot to be said for just having those sort of 
that sort of attitude and like those, those sort of goals in, in in life in general like he's clearly determined to get to that point um but we you know you, if you have a word of warning you can see that charlie's performances have gone from really good to last season and then you know he's gone so i would say in some games started the sort of descent to the point where he probably should be considering packing it in but uh, hopefully if that all right that's all that dan <laughs> no one's gonna get mad at that no one please don't get mad um you know like um if he's willing to carry on to 37 unks then that's fantastic and if he can stay fit and keep his performances up, then I'd absolutely love him to finish off at QPR. Is there anything else that sort of stood out for you guys? Or no, I don't. Th- I'm trying to, th- trying to think now. Um, no, I don't think so. I think the Dicky for England thing was interesting. I mean, we know his potential. Um, he's is he 25 now? Nearly approaching 26. Yeah. By the end of the season. So you think if he, he was to get in the England squad, then a move would probably have to be sooner rather than later. Because, uh, you know, Gareth with his Premier League bias. So, yeah, I thought you, that was interesting. You say Premier League bias. I don't think you could go calling up everyone from the second division. We wouldn't be a very good team. No. Guess, but like, <laughs> but like, he goes for Connor Cody and Mings all the time. I mean, come on. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not That's saying, saying Dickie's Dickie's that level, but... Yeah, it's just yeah. I mean, like you, you make a good point there, but you know, Harry Maguire is rubbish. Right? <laughs> he, he doesn't. It doesn't have to take long. Dicky could have one half good season and be in contention. I would even say that Eze had the best season last year, and he was in the squad before his injury. So I think he was in the under twenty ones before. That's that's one big part of the England squad. Under yeah. twenty one, like you got the likes of Harwood, Harwood, Bellis, and uh, Gwehi that are probably likely to step up soon. So. Be interesting to see where he where he ends up. Well, we can't have too many Crystal Palace fans. fans Sorry, Michael yeah. Garrett. No, I was just saying. I guess it depends. Where he, obviously, if he comes up with us, uh, we're going to have a tough season in the Premier League next season. So, you know, we'll blitz it. We'll blitz it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's optimistic, <laughs> but you know, if 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 we don't go up this summer, I would imagine that he would move on. And you know, let's talk of West Ham at the moment. If he went to West Ham and West Ham are you know, continue this sort of run of form that they've been on the last season and a bit, and Dickie's part of that, then you would say, you know, it'd be hard if he's playing, obviously, it'd be hard for Southgate to ignore him. That was the case. But, you know, it just just depends where he lands, you know. Yeah, we could go to Fulham, and then, you know, it's basically just a relegation back to the championship, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so I think we'll... Uh, just wrap it up here for this week's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed listening to it. The interview with Albert was really good and we really enjoyed it. And I think you can tell that from our discussion just now and hopefully you can tell that Unks enjoyed it in the interview. Um, So, yeah, uh, thank you for listening. If you're new to the podcast and you've decided to listen just because we got Albert Adoma in for this week, feel free to come back again next week and listen to us. You can subscribe on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts as well. And if you so wish, you could listen to us on SoundCloud. We appreciate anyone that wants to spend a 45 to an hour listening to us drone on about the team we love. So we're going to say goodbye now. And thank you so much for listening. Follow us on 
our generation net on Twitter and the same thing on Instagram. All three of us are on Twitter. If you want to see Dan tweet about tactics, Micah tweet about anything but football and possibly <laughs> Liverpool as well. Right. Um, and I will just constantly talk about our generation and this fantastic podcast that we do. So thank you very much for listening and uh, hopefully you'll listen to us again soon.